So this morning, we're going to continue on through the book of Acts. You know, it's, it's kind of hit me this morning. I kind of thought, you know, we've been here for a while. We're going on four months in the book of Acts. That's a quarter of a year. Uh, we've been, so I hope you're not getting bored of this passage, this, this, uh, this text. But I think this, the book of Ephesians is like one of those, um, those books of the Bible that you could start all over again, hit it from different angles, new material, and still not having scratched the surface of all that it is. And so I pray that uh, it has informed your mind, encouraged your heart, challenged your thinking, and equipped you to really uh, walk out in what God has for us as his disciples. And so... um, Obviously, we didn't. Uh, we weren't in Ephesians last week, but but we had a good time last week. How many were here? That was a great time outside and uh, being able to worship and in the outdoors. Beautiful weather and food was good. And uh, I told Pastor Tom we should do that every week for the fall. Um, and and uh, don't you think we should do that? And see. Pastor Tom loves when I say those kinds of things because um, for, for us, we just kind of show up and it's like, it's really great for, for him. It's like a lot of work. Uh, and so, but we are hoping to get a couple more in there before the snow begins to fall. Uh, and, uh, and it's not just Pastor Tom, it's a whole team of people that make that happen. So, uh, but it's done in love. So this morning, we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to kind of bring us back to where we left off, and then we're going to go forward uh, together. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 1. Um, this is where Paul's kind of encouraging us to be a chip off the old block, right? This is where we're kind of reminded that we are, that we are children of God, and we are to reflect our Father in the world in which we are assigned. He says this in verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As we looked at that, we looked at that through the lens of, of how Jesus walked on the earth, right? And, and, and as we look at the way Jesus conducted himself in the world in those three years that he was uh, in our midst um, during those ministry years, we are reminded that we are to follow his lead. We are to imitate him, right? We are to follow the example, our model uh, Christ. And, and so we, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago and this idea of walking in love, um, We also saw how Paul kind of contrasted this idea of walking in love in contrast to the way in which we used to walk apart from Christ, right? When we were were dead in our trespasses and sins and pursuing the passions of of our flesh and kind of doing our own thing. I mentioned uh, several times, and I'll keep reminding you of it, that the book of Ephesians is really broken up into two separate areas. Chapters one through three, Paul is talking about who we are in Christ. It has to do with our position in Christ, that we've been saved before the foundations of the world, that God has called us and made us his own, right? It's our identity. It's who we are in Christ. And in chapter one and two and three is chock full of incredible, incredible um, information and revelation of, of who we are in Christ. And then as we kind of turn the corner a little bit to chapters four, five, and six, we don't contradict those first three chapters, but we build upon those chapters by saying, well, if this is who we are, then as Christ followers, this is how we are to live our lives, right? This is how our identity is lived out in the world around us. And so we've been looking at that these last couple of weeks, and 
Um, we pick up this morning in chapter five, in, in verse six, as we continue to look at the practices. How does a follower of Christ live out our lives in light of who we are in Jesus Christ, right? Verse six of chapter five, Paul writes this. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And verse 10 says, Paul says, and then, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's such a great ambition, isn't it? Just, Lord, what is pleasing to you? All right, try to discern what is, what is pleasing to the Lord. So let's kind of pause there. Paul is appealing to his readers that, that, we, that we be on guard against deception. This idea of not letting someone deceives us, deceive us puts some responsibility upon us to ensure that we're not deceived. You see, we become, a, we become very fertile ground for deception if we don't know what the truth is. If our guard isn't up, right, we become very susceptible to deception. And what Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus in light of everything that he's just revealed about who they are, he's like, listen, man, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. Be on guard. It's like Peter saying, man, be sober, be vigilant. For the devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And we aren't to walk around paranoid, like, oh no, am I gonna mess up? No, we need to know the truth of God's word. We need to embrace God's word and know it so intimately that we can spot the deception from afar. I mean, that's how bankers do it, right? The way bankers are able to spot a counterfeit is they study the original article. And I know I've been beating this like a dead horse, the importance of, of being in the word and studying the word and understanding what God's word says. But the reality of it is we cannot hear it enough and we cannot give enough of ourselves to discovering what God has revealed to us in his word because it's what guards us against much of the deception that is out there today. The enemy, he comes to kill and steal and destroy but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And, and that abundant life is tied to our awareness of, of who we are in Christ and our ability to spot lies, these empty words from a distance. He says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Empty words. Empty words are those things that they sound good up front, but there's no depth to them. They're empty clouds without water. They tickle the ears. They paint the, they paint the grass really green on the other side, thinking that, well, you know what? If I just change my social environment, if I just change my life, this, maybe if I just pursue this, this will make me happy. Empty words. It's like cotton candy, right? Everybody like cotton candy? Cotton candy is really good. You put it in your mouth, but it dissipates very quickly. 
It goes really nice going in, but then it's like, where'd it go? It's just gone. It's really not good for you either, right? It's just horrible for you. It's just a spoonful of sugar. That's all it is, right? That's what these empty words are. They feel real good. They, sound, they might even send a goosebump up and down your spine, right? But the reality of it is, if it's not grounded in truth, if, it's not, if it doesn't have the substance of God's word, it might feel good at the moment, but like cotton candy, it's going to dissipate and leave you stranded at the end. We need to know what God's word says and not just be driven just by our gut. How many times I've heard people say, well, I just know, just in my gut, I know what's right. Really? Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Right, so we need to make sure that our heart is informed by truth. Much of what we believe, if we really got honest, much of what we believe has been, has been something that we've carried over from what somebody else has said to us a long time ago. Whether it's from a teacher, a preacher, or some kind of an experience, much of what we believe is based on what we've been taught. And we need to be willing to let go of what we've been taught so that we can let God's word either cause us to embrace those things and we know why we embrace them, or be willing to let those go and submit to the truth. We don't want to be deceived by empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of, disobe- of the sons of disobedience. He's not talking about you here. He's not saying oh, you're, you're going to turn into a son of disobedience. He's saying that those empty words, those deceitful lies, they run synonymously. They're on the same track as those who are walking as sons of disobedience. The empty words that you are to avoid believing are the same empty words that we believed before we came to Christ. The old way of thinking, the old methods, the pursuit of pleasure, right? How we, we all kind of, we all kind of went after the things that pleased us, right? The thing, we ought to have got to chase after our fix. We need to find our fulfillment in this relationship or that relationship or this vice or that job or that security plan or whatever it may be. We chased after those things only to discover that nothing really satisfied apart from Jesus Christ. Fulfillment and wholeness and purpose comes when we're walking creator with creation as God designed for us to be. And unbeknownst to us at the time, in addition to not actually being truly fulfilled and find purpose, we were under the wrath of God. Dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, he reached out and called us his own. And what Paul is, is saying is, man, this is, this is what you were. This is how you used to change. But chapters one through three says, but that's not you anymore. Don't, you, don't apply this stinking thinking from the past to your present reality. It's not going to get you where you think it's going to get you. Don't be deceived by empty words. Many of the empty words and philosophies and ideas and practices of the past need to stay in the past. They don't apply to our present reality. We need to replace the lies with truth. And it it can't be just the truth you're hearing over a pulpit. It's got to be the truth that that you're reading on your own as you're discovering God's word, as you're journeying in, 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 in the presence of God under the guidance of the spirit of God as you're reading the word of God. 
Now, I know I painted a picture that some of you think, I, I can't possibly do that. What does that really look like in, in your life? Uh, for me, it just kind of looks like grabbing a cup of coffee and, and reading a passage and saying, God, what are you saying here? And then what are you, and then what are you saying to me? And then what am I going to do about it? It's a great way to, a great way to read your Bible, folks. Take a passage of Scripture. God, what are you saying? Not, 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 what do I think it means? doesn't matter what we think it means. That's not what I'm encouraging. God, what are you saying? And then God, what are you saying to me about this? And then what am I gonna do about it? You apply those three questions to your time in the word and I guarantee you, your growth will exponentially grow. Exponentially. You'll look forward to that time in the word as, as the Holy Spirit begins to open your eyes to the truth of your word. And, and, and you won't be dependent upon the preacher or the teacher or the whatever out there. You'll be able to, uh, to grow on your own the way God has designed and equipped you to be. That's the beauty of the, of the new covenant, right? That you have the Holy Spirit within you to lead you and guide you into all truth. Doesn't mean I don't, you don't need me. Just, you know, I mean, I, I've got a role here, right? My, my role is to equip the church, but not to grow the church. I can equip the church, but I can't grow the church. My equipping of you is to help you to grow yourself so the Holy Spirit can grow you, right? Otherwise, I'm making clones of me, and there's enough of me to go around. You don't want that, right? We need to be students of the word. He says here in verse seven, he says, therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I like that. Therefore do not become partners with them. See what's really neat about that is we used to be partners with them. That's the firm we used to be a part of, right? That's the, that's the, the group, the organization, the life. That was the, the world that we were a part of. And he says, listen, don't partner with them. For at one time you were darkness, at one time, you were partners with them. But chapters one through three reminds us that we're not that anymore, right? If any man be in Christ, Second Corinthians chapter five, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Don't go back to what God's driven you and brought you out of. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I like this here. He says, notice the contrast. He says, we once were darkness, but now you are light. He doesn't say you once were in darkness. That has to do with your actions. That's not what he says here. He says, you once were darkness. They were very, you were the very embodiment of, of darkness. That was your identity. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were as far off and as bad off as we possibly can be. It had to do with our identity. You once were darkness, but you're not that anymore. Now you are light. You're not just in the light, but you are light. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot hide itself. We need to realize that and recognize that and embrace our identity. We are a reflection of that light. This isn't just about our behavior. It's about our identity. It's about who we are. You see, to the degree that you discover who you are in Christ is the degree that you will live out your identity. I think if there's one 
comment that I mentioned time and time again, very intentionally, it is that very thing, that you know who you are in Jesus Christ, that you know what God says about you, that you know what you've been called to, that you recognize what you've been brought out of and you know what you've brought into. Because when we understand who we are in Jesus Christ, we no longer have to depend upon people or positions or or bank accounts or anything else to define us because God defines us. And when when God defines us, we no longer need the approval and the affirmation and the love of everybody else. They're nice to have, but our sleep doesn't depend upon it. Because the one I love the most loves me back. We need to know who we are because when we know who we are in Christ, we start then living as followers of Christ. That's why I hate, the, I hate the phrase, once saved, always saved. It lends itself to the invitation to live any way you want because, hey, you're already saved, so it doesn't matter what you, do, what you do, how you live. Listen, the book of Ephesians does not communicate that. The Bible does not communicate that. Nothing in the scripture encourages or allows for sloppy living, just the opposite. I believe I'm sealed. I believe that I'm saved. I believe nothing can take me out of his hand. I believe that I've crossed out of death and into life and my salvation is as sure as what he's accomplished on the cross. So I don't, I'm not insecure about my salvation, but I am so secure in my salvation that it makes me not want to sin. It makes me not to wonder, wonder where the line is. I want to stay so far from the line because of my love for Jesus, not because I'm afraid of going back, but because I want to get close to him. That's what the scripture teaches. The true believer seeks to live for God out of love for God. Not because he's holding on to God as best as he can, but because God is holding on to us. Look what he says. He says, man, you once were darkness, but now you are light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And he says, Therefore, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Be in, let, your, let your walk be defined by who you are. Walk as children of light. Look what he says. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit of light, the evidence the proof that you are children of God will be seen in the way you live your life because fruit reveals what has been planted. Fruit does not plant. Fruit reveals what has been planted. If a person says they're a Christian but doesn't have the fruit of the spirit evidence in their life, then I would strongly suggest that they're not a Christian to begin with. James says it this way. Some will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Because James talks about, he says, could, could, he says, could that kind of faith save somebody? No. You show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. My life will back up 
what has taken place at Calvary. So this is an appeal to the Christian to, to live out who they are in Christ. It's not intended to invoke insecurity about their salvation, just the opposite. It's a metric that is being laid out there for us to determine whether we've come to saving faith in Christ or not. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. What are you chasing after? What's the priorities of your life? What's the last thing on your mind when you go to bed and the first thing on your mind when you, when you wake up in the morning? What fills your calendar? What, what takes of your finances? What, what, in what ways has your life in Christ been impacted in your day to day? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and true and right. He says this in verse 10. He says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I find that a very interesting um, instruction, right? Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. But I kind of like that it's there um, because that really matters a lot, right? Um, but but I, I find it, it's actually very, it's very consistent with Paul's writing. He says this in, in Philippians chapter two and verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, you ready? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? Here he says in, in Ephesians, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In Philippians he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then he says this in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. Well, which is it? Am I to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling or is it God who is at work in me? Yes, it's both. Both of those things must exist. Both of those things must be embraced. Both of these things must be carried to their full extent. Those do not contradict each other, but they better complement one another. I don't know where my efforts end and God's kick in. Those are questions that I will never resolve on this side of eternity. But I know this, I will work out my, my salvation like it all depends on me. But I will sleep at night knowing that he who began a good work in me, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I will sleep at night because I recognize I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I will sleep at night because it is God who works in me both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And while I will not get lazy and rest on that, those are the very things that drive me to want to please the one I love so desperately. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do we discern that? How do we discover what is pleasing to the Lord? How do we know what God wants from us? We must be students of the word of God. Not students of people and popular opinions and the talk phrases of the day. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The plan of God, the, 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 the will of God for your life is not hard to discover. Follow hard after Jesus. And as you follow hard after Jesus, everything else will become clear as 
as he begins to lighten, begins to lighten the path for you. There'll, things, there'll, there'll be things that get introduced into your life that will draw you away from Jesus, and we recognize that as not the will of God. And there's other things that'll get introduced into your life that supplement and help you to continue to grow in your walk in pursuit of Jesus. And we need to embrace those things, right? Those things that bring me to Jesus need to be embraced and those things that pull me away from Jesus need to be identified as distractions and put aside. And hey, you know what? They might even be some good things. But we need to be careful not to sacrifice the best on the altar of the good, right? That's how we discern what is good in the will of God. So here's what I want to do. I want to get really practical with this passage here. Um, let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 says something pretty interesting. Um, he says this, he says, take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness. <clears throat> You'll, uh, I had a wonderful weekend. I was preaching at a retreat this on Friday and Saturday, so I'm a little talked out, and so I um, um, appreciate the extra grace this morning. <laughs> Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, he says, but this, but instead expose them. Expose them. Now, this, is, this is really important for us to understand what, what Paul is saying here. I think sometimes this passage of scripture oftentimes gets very misunderstood and is used as an assault against other people. Paul's not giving the church the mandate to expose the works of darkness out there. This isn't for us to be like, hey, you know what? That's sinful, that's wrong. We aren't to be going out after everybody and everything that we would determine as an evil work of darkness. Paul does not encourage us to go after and expose the works of darkness out there. He's giving the mandate to expose the evil works of darkness in here. The ones that reside in my own heart. The ones of the log in my own eye. The lies of the past that I have still held onto, even as a new creation, that seem to twist my view of marriage, that seem to twist my view of walking in holiness, that seem to twist my view of, of embracing one another and forgiving one another. Those lies from the past, instead of exposing everybody else, it's looking in the mirror and saying, wait a minute, because this passage of scripture is not the mandate for how the church is to respond out to the world. This is a mandate of how the church is to respond in the mirror. Expose the works of darkness in here. It's a call to self-examination. Have I been deceived into believing, as Paul says, empty words? empty promises that, that give me permission to do the things I just want to do. That cause me to live in ways that are inconsistent with the life that I'm called to live. That are inconsistent with, with who I am in Christ. Because everything we do is a result of what we believe. Right? Everything we do is a result of what we believe. And so if we keep tripping up over things, if we keep doing things that we know are inconsistent with God, somewhere along the line, we have embraced a lie. And we need to expose that. God knows it's there, but we need to deal with that. In a moment, we're going to take a look at how we do that. 
You see, God's word instructs us on how we are, how we are, and, 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 and who we are, and how we are to live in the, to live in, in, in the world around us, and to have our lights shine in the world around us. And he gives us instruction on how to shine the light in dark places, those dark places of our hearts, exposing those things. Why? So that we can repent of those things, so we can be freed up of those things that trip us up and hold us back and limit our potential in God. That's what he points out next in verse 11. He says this, look, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. In other words, don't go after what they're doing in secret. That's shameful enough, it's, but it's consistent with their nature. This isn't about them. Just don't take part in it. That's not who you are anymore. But some of it's still on the inside. Is anybody finished? Right? I'm a man, you just, you, I, gotta, I gotta get plenty of work on right here. Right? Don't take part in that. That's not what I am anymore. It's not about them. It's about you. It's about me. The context of these verses isn't about how we are to judge the world. It's about how we are to judge ourselves while living in the world. And now watch, it doesn't, it's not bad news. It's actually great news because it just keeps getting better and better because here comes the promise, right? Here comes the, here comes the outcome of the person who will allow the light to shine on those dark areas of their life. He says this in verse 13, watch. He says, but when anything is exposed by the light... It becomes visible. If anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What he's saying here is, listen, here's the good news. You don't have to live in darkness. Those dark places don't need to reside in your heart anymore. He says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. You have those moments where you wonder to yourself, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep tripping over the same sin over and over and over again? Why can't I extend forgiveness to this person? Why can't I see myself as God sees me? Why can't I see other people as God wants me to see them? Those are dark places in our heart that are consistent with our old ways that have been carried over into the new and we need to allow the light of God's word to expose the darkness. And I love what happens here. He says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. You want to know why you don't want to forgive them? Do you want to know why you keep tripping up in these areas? Do you want to know why you fail to see yourself as God sees you? And he begins to open up the eyes of our understanding. And you know what we call that? Sanctification. It's growing. This is how God conforms us more and more into his image. We get so busy worrying about what everybody else is doing and we miss the ability to grow through these things. He'll send somebody into your life that you think, oh, I don't want to forgive this person. God's like, yeah, but I let that person come in to show you that you have unforgiveness in your heart. 
And you see, I'm not worried about that person right now. I'm worried about the unforgiveness in your own heart. I want to, I want to free you of the bondage that you're walking in because you're unwilling to forgive somebody. And the only way I can expose that to you is I need to bring somebody into your life that you don't want to forgive. And so if you'll just allow me to shine the light on that and identify the problem, we can grow you right through this. That's how God grows us. Too many times when conflict comes, we run. Someone says the wrong thing. It's like, I'm out of here. They didn't do what I thought they should do. I'm gone. I'm going to find. It's like, it just starts getting good when it gets difficult in relationships. Really, right? You can run with someone for a couple years and everybody having this kumbaya moment. It's kind of like the honeymoon experience. And then one minute they say something, they bring something to you that you don't want to hear. It's kind of like, forget them. I'm out of here. It's like, wait, wait a minute. You just had an opportunity for it to get really good. You can get a little deeper now. It's the same with our, our journey in faith. God allows those things to come up so we can push through and grow through those things. We need to shine the light on those areas of our hearts so that we can be a better reflection of Christ in the world around us. And so the question that begs to be answered is, once you know what's there, right, what's going on the inside, and we start to discover why it's there, here's why I keep doing that, the question that begs to be answered is this, now what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You say, I, I have a hard time forgiving somebody. Well, let me shine the light on, on that. You see, you have a self-righteous attitude that you don't realize how much God has forgiven you of. And see, your problem isn't so much that you won't forgive somebody else. Your problem is you don't realize how much you've been forgiven of. And so you need to get a better understanding of how much you've been forgiven of. And when you embrace that and you apply that, you'll have no problem realizing how much you need to be willing to forgive other people. That's how we grow. We have to search our hearts. What are we going to do about it? Now we know the what. Now we know the why. What are we going to do about it? I can preach something that's really fun and energizing and make you feel real good about yourself and be a, a real motivational speaker, but this, is, this isn't what you need. This, th th we don't grow in those areas. We grow our heads up in those areas, right? But this is where we grow. We start looking in the mirror and saying, ooh, that does not look like Jesus, and I want to look like Jesus. And I need to die to myself. God, would you take this ugliness out of my heart? Would you shine your light upon it? I repent of those things. Conform me more and more into your image. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. He said, oh, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. Then lead me in the way of everlasting. I think we, we lack that same passion at times that cries out, God, search me, oh God and know my heart. Sometimes we don't even want to know what's going on, on the inside. But we wonder why we keep tripping up and not walking in the victory that God wants us to walk in. Search me, oh God. He said, search me. He said, know me. He said, try me. And then he said this, and then lead me in the way of everlasting. Shine the light of truth on those areas of my life and lead me where you'd have me to go. That's what God does. He shines light on the dark places of our life that are inconsistent with who we are in Christ and he leads us in the way everlasting. 
For anything that becomes visible is light. I love that. It, it, it exposes darkness and darkness has to go. It speaks of transformation. It speaks of sanctification, of taking this, this idea of this change taking place in our lives that we shine the light in dark places. And then he says, therefore, awake, O sleep, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. It's too easy for us to take passages of, uh, passages of the scripture and, and apply them to the world around us. I, I just want to go on record and say, this is so much easier to preach than it is to live. I recently preached on the idea of walking in love and without, within hours was called upon to have to really put that emotion. I thought to myself, this is a lot easier to preach than it is to walk. And so I'm on a journey with you. I'm not complete. I'm holding on, you know, and, and, and trusting Jesus to complete the work in me, just like you are. But the reality of it is, I don't want to stay the way I am. I want everything that God has for me. I mean, I didn't get married to have a ho-hum, boring marriage, you know, just having an old bowl and chain in the house, you know. And, and I, you know, I don't believe that. I'm just, you know. I got married to enter into a depth of relationship that's consistent with what God designed for it to be. And just by chance, it happened. No. It doesn't just happen. You make it happen. You work it out. You talk it through. You have the hard conversations. You prioritize the other person. You walk in love. You apply the truths of Scripture. And you experience the fullness of what God has for you. And the same is true so much more for our own journey I want everything God has for me. I want to walk in the blessing of God. I want to walk in the joy of the Lord. I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to leave the fragrance of Christ behind me everywhere I go. And the only way I can do that is I have to have these moments where I begin to look in the mirror and say, God, would you, would you shine light in those dark places? We're going to end a little bit differently today. It's interesting that there's a progression that we see in the book of Ephesians that I think is really important for us to kind of see, just kind of a, a big overview picture, right? It kind of starts off in, in chapter one, like we've been saved before the foundation of the world, right? We see that God makes us alive in Christ Jesus, right? He begins to shine his light on us, and we start to realize that while we are new creations, we still got some stuff from the past that we need to work through, and that's kind of like what we're talking about here. We're looking and saying, okay, now that I know who I am in Christ, now let's start looking at how I am to live my life. And before I can live my life, I need to know my life. I, know to, I need to know what's going on in the inside. I need to start to shine the light in the dark places because in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start looking at how this identity in Christ is supposed to impact my life and my marriage and my relationship with my kids and relationship with employees and employers and, and my community and all these other things. I can never understand what it is to love my wife as Christ 
love the church if I, and, and, and later on in the chapter, if I don't start off in the beginning of the chapter and look in the mirror and see those dark places in my own heart that will keep me from loving my wife as Christ loved the church. There's a progression, right? So we're going to start to see as we continue in this journey, we're going to look at how spiritual warfare is taking place in, uh, in the world around us and how we are to respond to those things. But we can't get there until we first start looking here and start shining light in the dark places. As I wanted to give an opportunity this morning just to, just in the quietness of your own hearts, because I think that if we just kind of ended it here and grabbed a bagel and coffee, I think we'd just miss something. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God. And just in the quietness of your own heart, just begin to ask God, God, is there, are there things in my own life? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come up here. Just, just, do business with Jesus right now. And just take a moment of pause and say, God, have I ever been closer to you than I am right now? And if I have, Lord, would you help me to discover what happened? I know you didn't go anywhere. Lord, do I have idols in my life? Are other priorities pulling me from my pursuit of you. Maybe you have unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody else. It's, nothing will hinder your ability to grow than unforgiveness in your own heart. You might not be able to reconcile with that person. That person might not want to reconcile with you, but you can release that person in forgiveness so that it doesn't impact your heart and your soul, your mind. Maybe you're engaged in things that you know are contrary to what God would have you to do. And, 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 and maybe this message this morning is shining some light on some things that, have got to, that you've got to let go. Matter of fact, you're sitting here and you know exactly what those things are. You're probably sitting here and you've got a knot in your stomach and thinking, I, gotta let, I know I've got to let this go. I just don't know how. And you know, part of me just doesn't want to, but you need to let it go so that you can experience the fullness of what God has for you. God, would you examine our hearts this morning? Would you allow the light of your word to expose any dark places in our hearts that we have not left open to your influence? God, as Christians, we, we, we recognize, Lord, we love you. That's why we're here today. But Lord, we want to continue to grow more and more like you. As that song we sang this morning, Lord, if I don't want it if you're not in it. Lord, help me to see those areas in my life that are getting in the way of the best that you have for me. And give me the grace to run from those things. We thank you, Lord, that you, we are your workmanship and this is how you work on us. You bring to our remembrance things that, are, that need to go, areas we need to grow, things we need to repent of. And thank you that we can come and be forgiven of those things. Your word reminds us that if we'll confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Maybe you're watching this online or on TV and you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, I need to work on some things as well. You can't work on them by yourself. Give them to Jesus. Run from those things that keep you from the lover of your soul and walk in the plan and purpose that God has for you. That's where the joy is. That's where the peace is. Father, thank you for your goodness towards us. You indeed are our good, good Father. And Lord, we, we recognize our dependence upon you. All of our hope, all of our assurance is tied to the person of Jesus Christ and therefore it is sure. And we thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.